National League Championship. They have beaten the Padres 4-3, and they celebrate on their home turf as the Phillies of the 2022 NL Champs. From WHYY and BillyPenn.com, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season. A Philadelphia Phillies podcast, which you can you can guess it because of the excited tone of voice. You know, typically it's it's a different intro, or historically has been a different intro. Hey, it's a Phillies. This is a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. No, 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 no. On the cusp of another glorious September, here we are, excited to talk about the Philadelphia Phillies. I am Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus. With me is my co-host Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Yo. Hello. Who would have thought? We've done quite a few of these Friday episodes, and and who would have thought that this episode, uh, to close out August, coming on the cusp of a pretty heartbreaking Phillies loss, that there probably hasn't been a Friday where we felt better about the Phillies this season. Am I wrong? Uh, I completely agree. On Thursday, when they did not have a game, I felt very gypped. I'm like, what? Where are they? They owe me another game after yesterday. After yesterday's <laughs> debacle, yeah. Where's Where's my follow up? Show me. Uh, and unfortunately, they did not play. Yeah, there have been plenty of times where the one day respite of a week of Phillies baseball from a week of Phillies baseball has been a very necessary. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, break for everyone. Mondays uh, after a weekend series where they uh, won two and then lost the third one because they either. They either lose the first one and win the final two, or they win the first two and lose the third one. And those Monday days off after they just have a nonsensical loss at the end of a series, always helpful. But today, I, I mean, what I want is more, I, I wanted more Phillies baseball. As a guy who complains a lot about people being unable to lose anymore or being able to take the L anymore, I'm not going to say that yesterday's loss to the Angels 10-8 uh, to 8 in the series finale at Citizens Bank Park was actually a win. I'm not going to say that because it wasn't. It was a loss. I wish it had been a win. It sucks that it was a loss. Uh, but that being said, the vibes coming off that loss <laughs> were... Very win-like. Yes. And I, I don't think, while like you might, I called it heartbreaking, but it certainly wasn't back-breaking. Uh, the Phillies finished a homestand with uh, uh, two losses in nine games. They finished 7-2 and two on their homestand, playing against the Cardinals and the Angels and a third team. Uh, and they, uh, they, they, looked, they looked like the team that was promised. They the, the kind of teams we're talking about where, you know, oh, you're bummed to, to have to talk about the Phillies on a day off or you need a break from them. We don't know who those Phillies are anymore. Those aren't those aren't these Phillies. These Phillies are uh, capable of winning uh, in just about any way, the, typically with home runs. They are the most powerful team in baseball in the month of August. They have a pitching staff that keeps them in, in games uh, enough for the offense to take over. They play from behind all the time and win. They have a flair for the dramatic. They have more than one guy who can come to the plate and be a hero at any given time. Hell, they have they have more than a couple of guys who can come to the plate and do that. They have depth. They have clarity. They have momentum. They have the city ready to go. I mean, as the month of September is about to open, 
Uh, I think it was um, uh, Bob Batrone previously at the Daily News who, who was just pointing out like, hey, look, you know, this is a we, we could be on the cusp of a very, if not historic, at least extremely fun September as not only the Phillies uh, go on this playoff run, but also the Eagles come back and <laughs> they are as exciting as they are. So this could be a very eventful September for the sports complex. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. I haven't been this excited about about sports in a long time. Because like at the beginning of the last two seasons uh, for football and baseball, we did not know what to expect. The beginning of not the 23 season, but the beginning of the 22 season, no one had any idea what was going on. And by the end of that, things were exciting and the Eagles started and no one knew what to expect from them. And all of a sudden, they started winning. It was just like this beautiful wave. So now at least we know that the Phillies are right now at this moment doing well. And we can all we can all ride that wave and feel really good about it before anything else happens. Let's, let's remember to preserve these feelings. Yeah, because feeling good is not guaranteed in baseball, as fans of the Anaheim Angels realized this week. The Phillies, as they played the Angels, were playing against a team that had put a quarter of its roster on waivers as a salary dump, as Buster Olney characterized (laughs) it as. right before the game started. Yeah, the Phillies were playing against a lot of guys who knew they weren't going to be on the team anymore in a couple of days. And Buster only characterized it as Art Moreno, um, the owner of the Angels, just kicking the, a board game over and uh, really imp- <laughs> impacting the impacting the playoff race in a way that his own team will not because they didn't get better and they're terrible and they're going to lose Shohei Otani. Uh, but instead, he took whatever players who could still potentially find roles to play on, on playoff teams uh, and made them available to those teams. Teams that are specifically, you know, maybe on the cusp of making the playoffs that still have a chance but are not locked in. The Phillies are closer to locked in uh, as far as wildcard teams go. Uh, as of now, here at the end of August, they're as locked into a playoff spot as a team can be. Um, you know, obviously things can change quickly, but uh, this team doesn't give off the vibes that they're kind of they're that kind of team. They were also, I believe, 21st or 22nd in the waiver order. So as these players became available... It wasn't really a possibility uh, that the Phillies were going to get any of them. And honestly, I'm not sure the Phillies would have had a whole lot of interest in many of these guys. Uh, if, if They Dombrowski... had a chance to trade for them at right. the deadline. Yeah. Like, I mean, they didn't get them then. Why would they get them now when they don't need them? Right. Dombrowski did what he did at the trade deadline because he believed in the roster he had already assembled. And that roster is doing incredible things right now. So, yeah, I don't think the Phillies necessarily had a lot of interest in these guys. But this morning they did start finding homes. And it was actually the Cleveland Guardians who did the most work here. They claimed former Philly Matt Moore. They claimed Lucas Giolito. And they claimed Reynaldo Lopez, who uh, who I suspect... (laughs) Look, I'm not going to question a guy's effort, but I suspect wasn't given 110% uh, in his performance against the Phillies as no. he was chucking up meatballs, and the Phillies were responding accordingly and yep. putting those meatballs into the into the stands. But he was he was pitching like a guy who knew he didn't really have a team anymore. <laughs> yeah, he was pitching like everybody knew that, look at what I've done, not what I'm doing. They told right. me I was on waivers before, like, I found out I was on waivers from the television before this game, so right. I'm gonna, everyone knows what's happening. 
yeah, mean, they uh, are uh, the the guardians. I mean, what it couldn't hurt, certainly, right? It couldn't hurt to add those guys. Well, they're one of those teams that's just like, look, we have some needs. Uh, we didn't fill them or we tried to and it didn't work. This is a last ditch effort, essentially, to add guys to the roster who could potentially impact a playoff run. Uh, and that's what they're doing. Best of luck. I think where the Phillies really got lucky here is that these three guys went to Cleveland. Hunter Renfro was claimed by the Reds, uh, reportedly. Dominic Leone was reportedly claimed by the Mariners. These are not even really impacting the Phillies as far as, like, opponents go. I mean, you could make an argument Renfro going to the Reds, maybe, but that's one guy going to one fringe NL wildcard team. I don't think the Reds have a whole lot of fight left in them, to be honest. So uh, this was a very fortunate turn of events as far as how it could have impacted the Phillies, but uh, it was said this morning that the Marlins were supposed to be very, very active uh, in, in this situation, but... I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't seem like they, if they claimed anybody, it's the last guy left. Cause there's only one of these angels. Who's, uh, who's still available. Obviously there's other guys who were made available by other teams and potentially Miami could be active there. But as far as the, uh, the famous giant roster dump that the angels just did, Randall Grichik is the only guy left, which is interesting. Cause I thought he would be one of the more popular ones from this group. He had a terrific series against the Phillies. He, he did. was, Hitting the ball every chance he could to show that uh, he'd be he'd be helpful in a playoff team, but apparently, reportedly, it's just Grechik left out there wandering the nation looking for a home as Sarah McLaughlin plays in the background. Oh so, God. yeah, best of luck to him as well. But the Phillies, yeah, didn't really have much to do here because what do you want to change about this team right now? I mean, Nothing. after Game Three, I kind of want to change Craig Kimbrell's approach, but other than that. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of knobs to twist here. You just kind of want to see them play out the stretch in September. Uh, yeah, so let's let's talk about that series a little bit, Liz. They obviously dropped the se- series finale to the Angels yesterday, 10-8. to 8. Uh, They entered this series having swept the Cardinals. They were feeling good. Uh, they were 7-1 and one on their nine-game homestand, having, ga- having games one and two from the Angels also been victories. In game one, the Phillies were behind one to nothing and then three to one. Stop me if you've heard this one, but they were, they were able to pull ahead for good. Thanks to what else, but home runs from Bryce Harper and Trey Turner, Mickey Moniak and Logan Ohapi did their best to stir up a revenge narrative for the angels. But Brandon Marsh was able to deflect a single off an angel and bring in an assurance, an insurance run for a six to four victory. Taiwan Walker went five and two thirds innings. He allowed eight hits and three earned runs, six K's. Another shaky performance from a middle-of-the-rotation guy. Um, you know, it's late in the season. He's been, the Phillies have been trying to give him a little extra rest. His uh, splitter hasn't been as as effective a pitch. Uh, the Phillies had to rely on their bullpen. They brought in Matt Strom, Jeff Hoffman, Greg Soto, and Craig Kimbrell, and they collectively allowed three hits and one earned run. And all of those things were allowed by Strom alone. So the last three guys allowed exactly nothing to happen. Mm-hmm. Good game for the bullpen, you know? That's that. To know that the bullpen, you know, they don't have to be the best bullpen in baseball if, if you just establish that they can be an effective bullpen. You know, you don't need everything to work every night because it's not going to. And the Phillies, but the Phillies find a way to, you know, overcome whatever their nightly shortcoming is. Typically, lately, it's been by blasting the ball out of the stadium. But, uh, I mean, looking ahead to the September schedule, the Phillies' main gambit is that they have to play seven games against the Braves in September. I mean, that's... That's a lot. I think people have started looking past that. At one point, they're even going to play four games against the Braves in three days. Now, 
This is a more evenly matched series than Braves fans will tell you it is, but one little aspect of it that kind of plays into what we've seen from this team lately would be that the Braves are particularly good at scoring in the first inning. They have a 327 batting average in the first frame. Their 979 OPS in the first inning is the best in baseball. They've scored 125 first inning runs this year, which, yes, is also the most in baseball. By comparison, the Phillies have scored 71. Inversely, their pitching staff has the second lowest first inning ERA in baseball, so they don't give up a lot of early runs. They just score them. The Phillies are in the middle of the pack in both of these categories in the first inning, but given their starters' recent proficiency for giving up runs early, is there any darkness in your heart, Liz, about playing a team like the Angels or Cardinals? And, you know, that that has meant giving up one or two runs early, but playing a game against the Braves might mean giving up a little more than that, given that they're especially proficient at scoring early. I mean, it's frightening. It's, you know, it feels like, I would imagine, you know, doing the flying trapeze without a net. Like, it, it's a, uh, it's, I have, my first thought when you were talking about that was, all right, well, bring it on. This is what the Phillies give up early runs anyway. What are you going to do? Score more? Sure. <laughs> you could do that. And the Phillies have come back from worse. So, like, if the Phillies' offense is going strong, I, f- I actually feel fairly confident that, you yeah. know, that the yeah. pitching can have those problems for now and still be okay i mean look you can't go into a series with the braves and think well we're going to shut them out we're going to shut them out for four games in a row and anything less than that is a disappointment nobody's thinking that nobody was thinking that against the angels or cardinals who are much worse teams than the braves playing the braves is going to be a challenge it's going to be more of a challenge than playing the teams the phillies played on this homestand even the giants a team that has playoff hopes uh, more so than both the angels and cardinals even that team is a shadow compared to the Braves. Everyone knows the Dodgers and Braves are the best teams in the National League. They have been all year. They have been consistently good, where teams like the Phillies have taken you for a ride. Makes for a better story. Didn't necessarily make for a more watchable June or July. No. Uh, that, but that being said, you got to understand playing the Braves is going to be different. They're going to score runs. They're probably going to score runs in the first inning. Hopefully the Phillies, you know, obviously that it's it's a little too far in advance to know who exactly is going to be starting these games, but I don't think there's a Phillies starter who isn't susceptible to this. It is a pattern that has been ongoing for at least weeks now where the starter gives up, whether it's Zach Wheeler or Christopher Sanchez, gives up a run or two or three early and the Phillies got to play out of a hole. For example, in game two of this series. They were playing from behind. They were they were losing one to nothing. They were losing two to one. They were losing three to two. They were losing four to two. All before a six-run explosion in the sixth saw them take the lead for good against the Angels. They survived a three-hit night from Shohei Otani, who was being, I'll say, successfully romanced by the Fanatic. Uh, and five Phillies had a multi-hit night in Game 2, including Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, JT Real Muto, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott. Five of them hit homers as well. Turner, Harper, Stott, Bohm, and Kyle Schwarber. Uh, So, like, that game really relied on just waiting for that big inning. Um, And what's also great is that the Phillies don't always rely on a single big inning. They come back up and they, they score in multiple innings. They don't compartmentalize their offense anymore either. So, this team almost feels... Could, could we could we say this team almost feels more comfortable playing from behind? They certainly looked that way against the Angels. Yeah, 
I mean, it'll be tested against the against the Braves for sure once they get there. You know, but it'll also be tested against the Brewers, who are a better team than the Angels. <laughs> yeah, the be, Brewers are doing making some magic of their own, too. They absolutely are. So this will be, it'll be an interesting series to see how the Phillies do against, like, legitimately good teams for the first time in a little bit. Let me look at the schedule and see how long it's been exactly since they've played a team that you could call relatively competitive. The Giants... And all right, so it's it's been like the Giants, the Jays, sort of the Twins. It has not been a very difficult month. So uh, no. September is going to be September is going to be fascinating to see if these Phillies who are comfortable playing from behind are able to continue to do that against teams that will clobber you. Yeah, I mean. All those times they were behind in game two, you'll notice they were never behind by more than two runs. Yeah, it was never all that. It, it was never super duper out of hand. Right. Uh, and that's not saying, again, a six run inning solves a lot of problems. So you can be down mm. by more than two. And, and this team, I think, can still come back. And I think that's kind of one of the most important things this team has done, if not the most important thing they've done over the last month. is really established that no game is lost until it's over. And there's been plenty of games this season where it was just like, all right, well, that's it. All right, well, that's over. I felt a little bit of that yesterday, but they had already come back twice in that game in ways that really felt like, okay, that's it. That's the, they can't possibly lose now. They, of course, did. Uh, but I, I think the most important thing they've done is establish that they can win any game. I mean, we've been saying they can yeah. win or lose any game all season long to any team, regardless of opponent. They've beaten really good teams and they've lost to really bad ones. Uh, but that being said, yeah, they really seem like they have reached a point where they are all comfortable. They're comfortable with each other. They're comfortable uh, in their roles. Uh, I think Rob Thompson's greatest strength is keeping guys comfortable. I think that's that's what a player manager does is, is just make good players comfortable. And the Phillies handed him a lot of really good players, and they all look really comfortable right now. And so that means they can play from five runs down and still have a chance. I don't think this team is out of a game because they're down by five or six runs. I don't think they 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 need to be down five or six runs every time. I would prefer they weren't. Yeah. But I, when they wind up that way, I don't think, well, this game's over. I'm at least giving them a few more innings before I'm turning it off in disgust. You know, like that. And that's that is definitely an evolution as to how this team has been approached all year. For the last couple of weeks, I've felt like they haven't really been out of any game that I felt like at any point they could come back and, you know, really do some damage. Like the national series, I really felt that the Royal series was like that. Um, that was around the time that Trey Turner got his ovation because his, his Renaissance is what has made the difference, you know, and it, Absolutely. Took, it took a little while to catch on, but him being productive and Harper's strength coming back and Kyle Schwarber continuing to hit home runs into the second deck. And, you know, everyone's continuing to do what they've been doing. Only now they're all doing it together. And they've added like this whole new player, Trey Turner, in there, who is like this, this savior at the perfect time. So like they just have to keep they just have to keep this going in and fans also need to remember what we've been through this season and what we've seen. Because if someone gets into a slump, 
we have to have faith that they'll come out of it because we've seen crazier things, haven't we? We have, but I also get that when a player is in the middle of a slump, and I mean a really bad one, like the one Turner was in for most mm-hmm. of this season, all you can do at a certain point is just turn the switch off and be like, I have, I'm, I'm not going to have... I have no expectations for this guy stepping into the box. Like at this point, I just have to not, I I have to not address that because if I, if I keep thinking, well, maybe this is the time he turns it around. He's yeah. And and then it's not, it's just going to be like, no, I have to just redefine that player in my head. I was calling like two or three of these guys automatic outs. And that was fairly earned for several months this season. (laughs) I wasn't talking about prior behavior. I'm just saying in the future, as this team continues to play, you know, if best case scenario, they have like, what, another two months of baseball ahead of them? And uh, Yeah, I mean, assuming they go on a deep playoff run. Yeah, yes. best case scenario, they have a lot of baseball ahead of them. So players aren't, they're not always going to be, you know, firing on all cylinders. So I think I'm just, all of this has helped me remember that when a player gets into a slump, I really need to, I really need to breathe and remember that they can come out of it. Even in a short amount of time, you know, players can turn things around. Unless we give them a standing ovation. Apparently that's, that's the secret move. Have we considered finding out where James Harden is and just surrounding him and, and, and clapping? I don't know if we'd be able to get enough people. Maybe they, I mean, you know, look, if Trey, Trey Turner, Turner hasn't person hasn't like insulted anyone, right, I was going to say has invisibly given up. In a if Trey game. Turner flew to a Chinese gymnasium full of children <laughs> and called John Middleton a liar. Yeah, it would be a totally. Yes. OK. Different situation. That's fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we apparently have a means of uh, of fixing players who knew the power we wielded. I've spent years talking about how fans probably don't have as much power as they might think they do. But here we are looking at Trey Turner. And I said this to you yesterday with uh, Harper's strength returning and, and Turner figuring it out. It really feels like there are now two Bryce Harpers in the lineup. And I know they're two different, entirely different kinds of players. Uh, You know, know, they have different strengths, maybe not entirely different, but uh, they have different strengths. They have um, almost different roles, but they're both superstars. And they both come up to the plate now. Like there are two guys in the Phillies lineup who can come up in a big moment. And you think like, not just he can do something. You you think something is going to happen. Yeah. Because like the whole point is that, I mean, what they say of the 59 home runs the Phillies hit in uh, the month of August, they were hit by like 12 different guys, if not more. So like, <laughs> it's not just the two of them. It's like a bunch of guys who can, who can step up and get the big hit and also get on base. You mentioned Kyle Schwarber hitting home runs in the second deck. A big evolution there has also been that Kyle Schwarber, obviously not in his first at bat when he's leading off, but He's hitting more home runs with runners on base, which is great. You know, like it's not just oh, a solo shot. Well, we're down. It's no, they're they're uh, they're capitalizing on threats. The Phillies have the fifth highest on base percentage in baseball in the month of August, in addition to their power numbers. Uh, that is um, third best in the National League. What's really funny is that's it's it's three fifty eight right now, third best in the NL. Uh, last month it was three twenty five, which had the middle of the pack. The Braves had the exact same team on base percentage, 325 in the month of July. This month, 
as is also a pattern lately, when the Phillies have spiked and like really done, started doing something well, the Braves just do it a little bit better at the exact same time. They are, of course, one of the two teams ahead of the Phillies in on-base percentage in the month of August. They have a 370 team on-base percentage, uh, and the Dodgers are at 365. There's just, and that's what I mean. Those are just two established dominant forces in the National League. And whether you're playing the Braves in the middle of September or October or both, you, you got to get, you, you're going to, if you're a National League team, that's not the Braves. You're going to have to go through the Braves at some point, probably. Yep. You know, like that's, it's just, it's going to happen. Uh, so just accept that as reality as well. I will um, say my strategy for dealing with the Braves throughout the season has been um, just pretending like they're not there until the Phillies play them because they're so far yeah. ahead, just not paying attention. It's been, it's been a delight. I hear about their players occasionally and like, oh, I wonder who that is. <laughs> it feels great. yeah oh wow like wow that guy seems pretty good i wonder who he plays for and then i just move oh. on with my life <laughs> well the braves had another good night well wow, it's so yeah. interesting i don't look at their score i i just I, I just scroll past and it like it's it's blissful blissful willful ignorance about the braves try it today well, don't tell any Braves fans you're doing that, or they'll show up at your house with PowerPoints and charts showing that why they're the best team in baseball, and that anything you're enjoying about your team actually doesn't matter because yep. their team is better. And also, Spencer Strider was hurt in the 2022 NLDS. Uh-huh. He was coming back from injury, and really that home run shouldn't even count. And also, you didn't go on and win a World Series after that, so losing in the NLDS is actually better than getting to the World Series. I think I've proven my case. Thanks. There is not Court a is fan base on Twitter that is more that is angrier about doing well because they have nothing to complain about. So they just make they just find things and they're just miserable. Oh like I think like Phillies, I it was so long ago now. I don't remember what 2011 was like. We were probably miserable for a decent portion of it, too, because that's just who we are. But. I really like it now things just feel a lot more annoying because they've got like numbers and videos and just endless, endless whiny tweets about how hard done by they are. Shut up. I think when you're good, you complain about things that are preventing you from being really good. When you're really good, you prevent you complain about things that are keeping you from being great. And when you're great, you complain about things that are keeping you from being perfect. And the Braves are just at that point where, like, if they lose, uh, if they win five out of seven, their fans are going to focus on the reasons they lost those two games they lost and act like those are horrible things. When they, I think, lost five of seven a couple weeks ago, Braves fans were losing their minds. And But in a way that made you think, oh, they've been, like, waiting for this all yep. season. They've been so that they can, like, up have there. something to talk about. Yep. <laughs> just like it all came pouring out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just interminable. Well, speaking of things, uh, looking for things to complain about, Michael Lorenzen, mm. he was uh, in game two, really letting the Angels hang around. Part of the reason the Phillies had to overcome uh, a series of deficits in that game was because he just kept, kept letting the Angels back into runs the game. up. <laughs> and that's become something of a trend in his starts since the no-hitter. In three starts since August 10th, he's got a 7.80 ERA. He's given up the most hits and runs of any Phillies pitcher in that span. 
Is that starting to bug you, Liz? I mean, I know we talked about the pitching in general. The Phillies are always seem to be letting uh, the opposing offense trickle in early, but then let the offense do its thing. And then the pitching typically settles down. The bullpen does a good enough job. And, and you know, the end result lately has been a win for the Phillies. But um, Michael Lorenzen, I feel like, is maybe a different case. We all watched that game against the Nationals where he gave up um, all those runs immediately after the Phillies pulled so far ahead and they wound up losing the game. Uh, he does not seem, I mean, at this point, after three starts where things have not gone well for him and he's definitely let the other team back in the game repeatedly, even as the offense has done its thing, this is not an arm I'm looking forward to seeing in October, let's no. just say. Mm-mm. Not, not particularly, but he'll... He just needs to get a little bit better. He doesn't need to make like a huge leap of getting better. He just needs to get a little better. Just a tiny little bit better so he could be like a functional back end back end starter instead of you know the bull, bullpen mistake that got out. Like uh, Who is your playoff rotation? Obviously Wheeler, I mean, are we sticking Nola? Yeah, you have to. In the, you, you, you have there's to. There's no choice. I, I, can't, I can't believe we're saying that. I mean, there's no cho- I mean, there's no choice. <laughs> I mean, there's... He, he's he's the other guy at the top of the rotation. There's no one else. He at least has the pedigree, and that's what guys like... You know, that's what guys like Thompson looks for. Like, it doesn't matter what my playoff rotation is, whether or not he's part of it. He probably would be. But he's going to be part of the playoff rotation. So, like, acting like he's not. <laughs> Just yeah, don't do that. <laughs> that's, don't act like he's Because you're right. I mean, even if he wasn't the second guy. But Thompson was like, no, he's already said, like, I will. I'll put him back out there. Yeah. that's It's like I, he didn't even think about it. Because really, at the end of the day, you can't really think about it. It's, yes, he is. He is one of the members of this rotation and he is one that will get the ball. I mean, Suarez has been hurt. Walker has been shaky. Lorenzen's been shaky. I mean, you said the other day, Christopher Sanchez would get the ball in game three. And I was like, no way. And then I looked at the other options and was like, oh, maybe. I mean, he wouldn't. I don't, I still don't think they would do that. And now I'm uh, thinking you probably are right because he did pitch recently and it was not great. Where did he go? Yeah. yeah, but he was steady. That was the difference. Oh, He's yes, you're right. He's steady. Very steady, uh, whereas guys like Suarez and Walker um, had really good middle of the season season starts, but um, not lately. Lately, it has not been. But you can also look at it like, look, the Phillies really, really leaned on their pitching in the middle of the season, and it got them through some tough stretches, and it kept them in the wild card race because the offense really didn't kick into gear mm-hmm. until this month. It's still August. It's still the first month that the Phillies offense has really operated on the level it was supposed to operate on. So they've had to rely on other things leading up to this point, and at times that's been Walker, and that's been Suarez, and they've both put up some really uh, impressive numbers uh, over a series of starts, but not lately. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not lately. Nope. And I mean, is that a testament to the Phillies' depth that they've been a team that's that's had seemingly different strengths all throughout the season? At one point, it's it's the rotation. At one point, it's the bullpen. At one and now it's the offense. I mean, does that mean this team is ill-defined, or does that mean this team is just deep enough to have different strengths at different times? That's exactly what it means. That what you just said just now, like it, <laughs> it doesn't mean the other thing because this is what we've 
this is what we've wanted. What's happened in the past is that like whatever is powering the Phillies slows down and something else doesn't pick up and and help move them forward. That's been their biggest problem. And now the offense has finally arrived and is here to pick up the slack. And that's that's what a good team is supposed to have. Like maybe not a a Braves level team, maybe not a perfect team or a, a an amazing team, but a good to great team needs that. And they have it. They have not always had that, but now like the offense is waking up and doing everything it needs to do right when the pitching is having some trouble and needs the offense to sort of get them over the hump. I will say in the past two months, Zach Wheeler has a 320 ERA since July 1st. Christopher Sanchez has a 356 ERA. Aaron Nola has a 394 ERA. Uh, and the other three guys are over four. Um, so, again, I'm not, I am not advocating for anything in particular. I, I don't want to jump too far ahead here. And I don't want to overreact to various statistics. But, um, yeah, you know, also in that time, opponents are hitting 214 off Zach Wheeler, 229 off Christopher Sanchez, and 238 off Aaron Nola. So... That's also solid. I mean, yeah. Nola's issue is, I think you address the Nola thing. First of all, I don't think Rob Thompson is aware of a Nola thing. No. And I mean that in a good way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think he's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, he's one of my top two pitchers. I'm going to use him. Uh, but do you feel like this gets addressed in the playoffs? I know generally in the playoffs, you're probably going to have a shorter leash anyway, but Nola's biggest weakness being he gets in a little bit of trouble and it really quickly becomes a lot of trouble. So does he specifically get a shorter leash in your mind in the playoffs? If you're the one sending him out there to make a start in game one or game two, are you thinking, you know, if it gets, if he's like over 80 pitches and a runner gets on base, I got one hand on the phone. Yeah. I think that's the right way to approach it. Cause it would definitely depend on when th- that inning occurred. Like during his last start, when he you went what like seven innings really you know did yeah it was a great well start the Cardinals it was a, it was yes. really really good um I was that I sat and looked at the television and you know he sort of I think he had finished the fifth inning and I'm like well this is where the trouble starts and I'm like get ready and it did not happen like I, I said it out I said it out loud I feel I felt bad about that afterwards but. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean. When a guy is slumping, you just kind of, you got to shift your focus. Like after it's gone on long enough, you're just like, I got to just redefine who this player is in my head. Exactly. It's not going to make him easier to watch, but it'll make the results easier to take. And I think we did a citywide shift on Aaron Nola because he just, he couldn't do it for a long time. He couldn't do it. He couldn't throw shutdown innings. He couldn't get third outs. He couldn't uh, relax with the runners on base. He couldn't adjust to the pitch clock. He, his velocity dipped. That was apparently on purpose, but also it wasn't, you know, there was a lot of stuff throughout the season that. that is, that is, <laughs> yeah, that has contributed to, to Nola's struggles. I mean, again, if he's somebody that's, and I, I know we're, we're choosing not to look at Nola this way, but if you were, you would potentially say, hey, look, this is a guy who's who's had a, a great outing last time. Perhaps he, like Turner, like Harper, has saved his best stuff for this point in the season because another critique of his has been that he has had low stamina and struggled in September, which he, he rectified last year, didn't run out of gas until I think his last two or three starts in October. And potentially, you know, 
they were definitely addressing that earlier this year. Maybe this is a result of that as well, that they, you know, mid midway through the season, he had a different approach or was just talking with Caleb Cotham about just doing things a little differently in order to maintain a high level of output later in the season. It's totally on the table, but it does, it's not going to stop people from getting nervous. True. It, it certainly won't stop anyone from getting nervous, but I, I agree that we've all sort of shifted the way we've looked at him. Like we had, none of us do that knew it, but we had like a, 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 we all just sort of tilted to one side altogether. And like, we don't, I think having Zach Wheeler certainly helped take some of the spotlight off of Aaron Nola, but I think we all, none of us expect Aaron Nola to, to be that player. We all know if he has a bad start next time, <laughs> like, I think everyone knows everyone at the ballpark knows everyone at the ballpark. Anyone who is even a casual watcher of the Phillies sort of understands now what Aaron Nola is. And that's really good for him because I think it allows him to stay comfortable. Cause, and cause we're not constantly booing him for not being, you know, Zach Wheeler or Jacob deGrom. We know who he is now and he's, this incredibly inconsistent pitcher who is able to pull off, you know, runs of, you know, exceptional pitching, but who can also be deeply terrible. At this point, the last thing I want any Philly starter to be is Jacob deGrom. That would be devastating. Oh, God. That's no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I meant my, like, ideal world yeah, yeah, version yeah. Of, of Jacob deGrom, which is uh, he never got hurt and arms are supposed to throw it that way. Which they're not. Now, we haven't talked about this. Well, the last time we talked about this, I think we had a different, uh, different feelings towards the Phillies in general. Obviously, as we've been repeatedly saying, the vibes are flawless at the moment. I'm just going to bring this up real quick at, because we're talking about him. Liz, Aranola, free agency. What's what's the result here? Let's just for a second look past September and October. Based on how you feel right now about Aaron Nola and the Phillies, you're bringing him back. I think. Boy, that was the loudest pause. It I was. Have, it was I a very loud heard. pause. I, I don't think it's. <laughs> I don't think it's about the Phillies bringing him back. I think it's about the Phillies making an offer and him deciding whether he wants to take it, depending on what else is out there. That's kind of what I think is going to be the result of this i don't think there's any negotiation left between them because otherwise it would have been done like he hasn't his season has not been like a massive substantial upgrade over last year i don't think do you feel that way do you well yeah no i think i think that people were more frustrated with nola this year for a lot of the same aaron nola that we have yeah, seen before. I think he exactly. is just kind of, that's the kind of player he is. He, he is, he, he has a step, he has a step. Well, we've talked about this so much. And yes, I didn't want to have. turn this into an Aaron Nola I conversation, didn't. but I just was curious at this point, like another interesting question is if the Phillies had worked out an extension with him prior to the season, where does that put people on Aaron Nola at this point? Like, <laughs> I think a lot of what people that extension would look like because something tell like the Phillies were not willing to give him what he wanted. And yeah, which is definitely different than last time. Cause he signed a very team friendly deal when he, he bet on himself. Extension. 
is how they often put it. He bet on himself in 2023. Is that bet paying off? I mean, it's not like he wouldn't uh, get no. anything in free agency, but it's also not like he put up a career year, not by a long exactly. shot. Exactly. So, he bet on himself to show some kind of an improvement, and instead he's just sort of the same. And so I think now the Phillies make an offer that's probably not what they offered last time. Whatever it might have been, it's probably a little bit less to reflect that he just gave them a, the same season again. And what so, if they win? What if they win the World Series? I think it's the same. I, I don't think. What if? What if he starts? What if he's the World Series MVP? Still, <laughs> I mean, it does not matter. It, I mean, it, it might. I mean, it it might give Arenal like ca- like cause to ask for more. The Phillies might offer a little bit more, but I don't think him doing any of that fundamentally changes who he is because it's not like if he went on an insane run from now through the the point of when the Phillies win the World Series, hypothetically, none of us would be oh we'd be amazed. But I don't think we'd be surprised because we know he has that in them in him if he wants we're using some strong language here and it is going to get us in trouble you're the one who said he was world (laughs) series mvp what did you want from me you guys heard it first liz is cursing the phillies liz alone let's all let's all yell at her what if they win the world series said justin yeah the crowd is on my side the crowd is on my side um all right so tough (laughs) questions i will give the tough answers come on Uh, yesterday, the Phillies finished this series with the Angels. It was an eventful day, to say the least. Uh, as we can all remember, the <laughs> Phillies were behind several times. They came back several times. They wound up losing, ultimately 10-8. to eight. Um, Yeah, the uh, sometimes it feels like the narrative becomes so powerful, and we make assumptions about how things will end simply because they've reached their natural end point, like, Maybe even twice in one game, like once with Trey Turner's lead taking home run. And again, with Bryce Harper's other lead taking home run. That yes. was also his 300th career home run. Just kind of felt like the right time for that game to be over. But instead, yep. Brandon Drury, <laughs> then Brandon Drury got to hit a home run. I don't know what narrative that was fulfilling, but seeing Seemed like an awkward, uh, forced, you know, shoehorned in development of that game that really wasn't necessary. But whatever, uh, Drury hit one after the Angels had already the baseball game. (laughs) (laughs) They had already tied the game at eight eight, uh, and then Drury hit a home run that put the Angels up ten to eight, and that's how the game ended. Craig Kimbrell, I'm ready to just kind of park that the blame for that entire loss on him. That's fine. I don't think it's necessarily a, a, a long-term amount of blame, but in that game, in that loss, I'm happy to just put it on him. Um, you know, because again, this was not a Phillies loss. It was a Craig Kimbrell bad appearance, basically. Yes. And th- that, I think, is why the Vibes managed to survive um, losing the third game of the series in a winnable game where a lot felt like a lot of magic was happening and the ballpark was alive and, you know... Mm. I, but I don't. I really don't. Is what I heard. Right. And I really don't think this is going to change people's outlook. And in, 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 a, in yeah. a way, today being an off day, or uh, Thursday being an off day was um, was I think probably valuable for people to just kind of restart and go back into the next weekend series, knowing that this team is capable of hitting the crap out of the ball. Oh, uh, yeah. And speaking of. 
Speaking of which, uh, Harper was obviously spoken to about hitting his 300th home run, uh, saying you know, he was glad he really wanted to hit it at home, which I, I don't, did, were people counting down to this? This was a milestone that seemed like, oh, by the way, this is happening. And you were like, oh, wow, that's Yeah, that's I didn't awesome. know it was happening until like they announced, you know, like uh, Scott and uh, uh, like L.A. or Kevin Stalker brought it up. Like as you know, like this is happening. It's just a few, few games, you know, a few homers away, because um, they finally started. They, I mean, they didn't have a reason to mention it before because he had not been hitting any home runs, and so yep. like it, it happened really, really quickly. And so I don't think there was a countdown because the the season had been so strange. If this if this had happened a few months ago, like in the middle of July, when it probably was due to happen originally. If he hadn't been so injured, um, I think there would have been a bigger deal. But, you know, he hit it. He said nice things. He was very excited. You know, yes. and everyone was appreciative. That's all we need. <laughs> yeah. That is all we need. That but is that, is not, that is not all we got. <laughs> because Harper <laughs> said some nice not, things. <laughs> let me say, it's not all we need. Harper needs, this is going to Har- demonstrate. Harper did say some nice things, and those nice things quite naturally and seamlessly devolved into an ugly debate between fans and members of the media alike. Uh, What he said to reporters after the home run was, I'm very fortunate and very blessed to put this uniform each day with Phillies across my chest. I'm so thankful that me and John Middleton were able to sit down after the 2018 season and get something done. Very fortunate to have a long-term deal and play this game for a long time. Hopefully, I'm able to do it for even longer than my contract says now. I just love being a Philly, plain and simple. It's something I dreamed about, this fan base, this city. I love them, plain and simple. I feel like I'm part of this family. There's nothing like it. I could go on and on. Everybody thinks I pander a lot, but it's real. It's so real. It's from the bottom of my heart, and I'm just thankful to put this jersey on every day. So... This is the first time I've seen Bryce Harper use the word pander and address the fact that we have all been saying, oh, he's pandering, he's pandering. He looks at Twitter. The man looks at Twitter. Is that the only place that you'd really see it? Yeah, I mean, yes. And I think, like, probably like blogs. I don't think a lot of beat writers have touched on it or used Mm -hmm. that word. Because, and this is the issue, pandering, it turns out, has different definitions depending on the people you're talking to there are people who are using the dictionary definition of pandering which is a bad thing it's like it's it's like uh manipulative it's very fake and disingenuous um it's somebody who's trying to please people but is obviously being false in doing so when we say pandering i guess you could just say that we're using it incorrectly or redefining it we just mean a- appealing to to what Phillies fans want. Yeah, going like, out of it's, his it's way. A, it's definitely a less, uh, like, it's the political definition of pandering as opposed right. to the dictionary definition where it's, you know, it, you come to Philly, you eat a cheesesteak. You go to Boston, you eat beans or whatever. You go to Maine, you eat mean, lobster. <laughs> you know, that type let's, of thing. Let's be honest here. Bryce Harper has always been very at the at, at, at very least theatrical in his yes. uh philadelphia appreciation in the, in the instagram post what did that say long have i yearned to see the living <laughs> bell uh, you know you're not laughing at him exclusively you're like ah, he's a, okay he's a, it, he's a cornball 
Because <laughs> I do believe this is all genuine. I believe it is all genuine just because he's a cornball. He's nothing a wrong with that. from Las Vegas. There's really nothing wrong with that. You know, he has an image in his head of what the perfect baseball player is supposed to act like and say and do and feel. And to him, that's what this is. And so he's feeling all of this genuinely because it's exactly what he imagined it would be. Um, right. I think he addressed it. I, I don't know why he addressed it at all because when Phillies fans use it, we specifically mean it lovingly <laughs> because we love, I love it. Do it more. Yeah. Every time we're no saying, oh, he's pandering to us, and... we're Go like, ahead. oh, it's working. Do it, do it more. Like, exactly. do more pandering. No one has ever <laughs> loved us enough and care. Yeah. No one has ever loved us enough to do this. Think about that's what we're all responding to, really. We're all responding to the fact that Bryce Harper chose to be here and has wanted to be here continually and has paid over, you know, paid off his contract many times over. You know, and like we're all responding to that, all of which has never really happened before. Like he wants to be here and he's good at the same time. Like, yeah, I mean, part it, of that is still really mind blowing. And I think from a primal place, we all react and are just like, yes, yes. Maybe it's trust issues, too. Like even yeah. even in our case where we're, we, we hide behind the term pandering because somewhere in our minds is the is the thought that well what if he turns around tomorrow and he's just like this place sucks i hate it here i want to leave or something but like well this is also just new territory i feel like yes superstars have come to philadelphia as free agents before but his star is probably bigger than most of those other stars uh Mm -hmm. in the context of baseball in the era in which he is playing and he got here and, you know, what I always say is like, there's a PR team in his ear. Maybe that's not even the case, but whether, no matter how you define the word pandering, he took to marketing himself to Philadelphia yes. in a way that, you know, from our perspective is like, yeah, wow, he, he, he really hit the ground running here. He is, he is taking all these references and, and, you know, going out of his way. Oh, my fanatic shoes, my fanatic bat. It's great. I love it. He's going out to the, when he first got here, he would run out to the, the fans and, and do like the hat thing and like whip his hair and work people into a frenzy. I was like, this is awesome. This is, this is you know, awesome. The key here is that Philadelphia actually has a culture. It has its own culture and its own way, its own food, like in a way that New York even doesn't. It's, you know, it's very, it's not necessarily actually homogenous, but it feels very homogenous in that guy eats cheesesteak equals Philadelphia. (laughs) Yep. Right? Like (laughs) there aren't a lot, like you eat a hot dog, it's, you know, New York probably, but like even... New York doesn't have the ability, like a player there doesn't necessarily have the ability to pander in that way that, to quote unquote, I'm using that now with quotes, uh, in the way that you do in Philadelphia because there's so many things that are just ours. Right. And people, like the cheesecake, the fanatic, and it's being here is being part of something. And he spent the first years of his career in, in, Washington DC with the Nationals which has no definable culture. People whether they're talking about a a player um starting to do better or a team winning games or a star claiming how much they love it here, people always need to leave a little bit of space 
and this includes you and me, uh, for the possibility that they've misplaced their trust. They always want to leave mm-hmm. a little bit of space for that because the last thing anybody wants to do is like be made to feel dumb. It happens all the time. It happens to most teams every year. Most teams fans every year. Like that that is just it's going to happen. But it's just that instinct to be like, well, if I'm negative about the team, then the worst thing I can experience is a pleasant surprise. And that concept has been alive in Philly sports fandom for my entire life. And I think this is a branch of that tree where, you know, Mm -hmm. the people who are like, Oh, he's pandering. They're either using it in a more positive way than the dictionary definition allows. And you know, therefore are using it incorrectly. Uh, or they are, they are using the word pandering because it, it leaves that little bit of space for, yeah, but what if he packs up all his stuff and leaves tomorrow? I mean, the interaction I saw that, that made me think, <laughs> oh, okay, we got to talk about this, would, uh, was between Glenn Macnow and uh, the athletic Flyers writer Charlie O'Connor, who used the phrase, who used the word pandering to describe, um, uh, or just in response to Harper's comments. And Macnow kind of jumped all over him and, and was like, oh, why would you make this a negative thing? And it was just this great indication of like, yeah, some people hear the word pandering and it's it's inherently negative and that's just not we have reclaimed the term essentially it is it is not what people do not mean it in a negative way when they talk about Bryce I don't know anybody who's talking about what Bryce Harper says and does about Philadelphia and thinks it's a negative I don't think anybody does and it really reminded me I was I was a guest on WIP Macnow would not remember this, but he was on the show when I was I was doing a spot about the Phillies. Um, I think it was either 2019 or 2020 because Harper was still new and he was going hard with a lot of this kind of stuff. And they did. One of the last questions they asked was, you know, do you think it is this real? Do you think he means it? And I was like, I think it's real enough. I also think he could pack up all his stuff and leave Philadelphia forever tomorrow and be totally okay. Because I just, you know, he was new. I was like, yeah, there's no. And Macnow did not. He did not like that either. He, he was mm-hmm. like, that's such a negative out. That is such a, a, a like nasty way to to take what this guy is saying about the city. And you're like, I really, it just doesn't. It just, it's just not that deep. I don't know. I, like, I didn't think it was that negative of a thing. But. That's the difference. And I think that's what we're talking about. Why this debate is alive is because some people are like, well, that word means this. And we're like, no, it doesn't. It means this. And, uh, you know, some of us have the di- not the dial turned a little towards more towards the negative and some more towards the positive. Uh, but at the end of the day, I do think we're all in agreement. What we're disagreeing about is the meaning of the word pandering. I think that's what it comes down to, because yeah. he has been pandering since he got here. And I've loved every second of it. Yeah, I think pandering, we just mean appealing to what we want, appealing to the things that we love, to the things that are easily definable about us. And I think that we stuck on pandering early because when it was new, he latched on to the very obvious things because he was brand new. That's what you do. Cheesesteak, fanatic, pretzel, you know, (laughs) pretzel, Liberty Bell, you know, Rocky, etc. But he's been here longer and longer it's gotten deeper and better and because it now we're at the you know we think that he's like he's pandering in all of his gestures or you know not pandering but you know it's the whole thing has grown as he's been here and the debate has been fascinating to follow because it just really it centers really on his genuineness and that yeah that's the other thing yeah. Not to cut it's... you off, but that is something that I wanted to mention, which was mm-hmm. that what we might be overlooking here is the fact that he might 
he's totally serious and that he means everything he's saying. And I think that's what that's what we're saying might be the case here. Like you, you leave that little bit of room for distrust, but at the end of the day, it's been long enough. He hasn't he, he hasn't he hasn't been here for a couple of months anymore. You know, he's been here for a couple of years. He's been to the playoffs. He's been to the World Series with this team. There's a really guys, there's a really good chance he just means everything he's saying. Yeah. He's a he's a cornball who wants this big traditional baseball experience for himself. And that's what he's getting. He's getting exactly what he wanted. He he signed this contract. He put in the time. You know, he he's and now he's seeing the fruits of all of that come, you know, coming to the fore with the Phillies being incredibly competitive and some of it is because of in his influence because Trey Turner is here you know guys that he's worked with in the past have come here because they like it here yep you know it's go ahead no I was just gonna say if Bryce Harper's opinion brings more stars like Trey Turner who are now hitting like Trey Turner uh to Philadelphia <laughs> then again this is this is only a game and at this point I don't think anybody is complaining that Bryce Harper is on the Phillies. If anything, they're trying to tell people, hey, look, you're not just watching a superstar. I think you might be watching history. I think you might be watching one of the greatest Phillies players of all time. Yes. Uh, And you know what you don't hear anymore, by the way, in any stadium? The overrated chance. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're going to look pretty stupid. Saying a guy who came to Philadelphia, won an MVP, went to a, a, a World Series, and could potentially go to multiple others. I don't think that guy's overrated anymore. And He's it's not. it's uh, interesting to see that that stop happening. <laughs> I mean, because he has a he has a, a solid home and he all he has to do is come and play and do his best. And he's managed to do it over the last few years while being like constantly injured for one reason or another. You know, and he yep. still managed to just positively contribute every pretty much every single day. What a he, what it's just incredible. He has and those contributions have gotten louder and longer in the last couple weeks and I think it's going to make for a very exciting month of September in South Philadelphia. Uh, so we'll wrap up this episode of Hidden Season. The Phillies start a weekend series in Milwaukee. They're going to take on the Brewers, then they're going to um, they start an NL East Gambit. They are going to take on the Marlins and Braves for seven games at home in September. Uh, so that'll be interesting. A lot of very interesting baseball ahead. Oh, and they're going to San Diego as well. After Milwaukee, they head to San Diego. They hit the West Coast before they come back for that NLE slate. Uh, that gets you halfway through September. We'll see where the Phillies are at that point. Uh, we'll have another episode of Hitting Season uh, uh, at the beginning of next week. After this Brewers series, we'll talk about that. So stay tuned to billypen.com slash hitting season. Uh, and you get access to every new episode of hitting season. And don't forget to head on over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash hitting season for a little extra cash. You get bonus Phillies content and boy, if there's anything you want right now, it is more Phillies content. And I'm, I think that's the first time I've ever said that non sarcastically. So <laughs> that, this is, uh, I, I too mean that I am being genuine when I say go to the Phillies. Phillies Patreon, go to the Hidden Season Patreon at patreon.com slash hidden season for more Phillies content as the month of September goes on. From WHYY and BillyPen.com, I'm Justin Clue, that's Liz Rocher. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Hidden Season.